You know, as you read the scripture, um, the author had an intent to what he wrote, and God has a purpose for that passage to be there. And so you're trying to study and reach that interpretation so that you know what this scripture is saying. And that leads you to your application. Um, and we certainly want to be learning the scripture so that we're transformed in our minds, in our thinking, in our character, in our hearts, and then in our actions, in our behaviors. We created Academy to be a learning environment. That means we're co-learners. We're all learning. None of us have it all together and know everything. That means that this is a safe place to ask questions. This is the place to ask questions. This is the place not to be embarrassed that you don't know something. So no question is a dumb question. No response is a dumb response. Like this is the safe place for us to all learn. Whether you've been a believer for three weeks, three years, 30 years, we are all still learning. And we're either learning new information we're being reminded of information that we forgot about, or we're practicing knowledge that we, that we already have. So I want to encourage you to have a posture of curiosity and to really be a student, okay? Um, because, our learning, because our environment is a learning environment, we, um, we are aligning our courses to best adult learning practices which means we don't lecture a ton. We will have teaching of content, but we want you to practice. So we're gonna teach you some methods and tools and principles, then you're gonna practice. Hopefully you, got, you had time to choose your passage. If you didn't, there are three choices in the back of your notebook in two different translations. You can choose the NLT or the ESV. So you will need to choose your passage. Over the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at principles, tools, methods to answer four questions. Four questions in four weeks. The first question, what does it say? Just the facts. We're looking at what does it say. Week two, what's the backstory? Still, these are facts. We're looking at the historical context. We're looking at the, who the biblical author is, who the biblical audience is. We're still observing the facts. So what does it say? What's the backstory? What does it mean? And that's where we're looking for the interpretation. And then fourth, what does it mean to me? How many of you read the scripture quickly wanting to go to the application? Okay. Is it really? This is all? Because I, I, I would raise two hands. It's so easy to read the scripture and go straight to the application. We're not going to the application until week four. Okay, don't do it. Don't do it, okay? Stop yourself from going straight to the application. Um, you may notice your little magnifying glass. This is just a reminder that we're investigators. We're investigators over the next four weeks, all right? And I promise you that if you invest in this course in four weeks, the Bible is going to come alive to you, and you are going to learn so much. Um, you will, okay, I think we said a study Bible was optional, but we, as we put the course together, we realized you really do need a study Bible, not a life application Bible. There's a difference. You need a study Bible. 
about 90% of personal Bible study, unless you're teaching, preaching, or writing something, can be done in a study Bible. I did buy some extra, $30 if you want to purchase um, the ESV study Bible tonight. You will not use the study Bible tonight, but next week we will spend a lot of time in the study Bible. So you have time to get one from Amazon. We would suggest ESV, NLT, really any translation um, that you enjoy will be fine. And Kathy Dunderdale and I put this course together. We're so excited. We had so much fun putting this course together. You're going to meet her in just a moment. She and I both are putting different resources up here that we use for Bible study. If you want to come up before or after class and look at some of these resources. Um, also want to introduce you to our Academy coordinator, Sarah Haynes. Right here, you will be getting emails from her. And our Academy resident... Michaela Nelson, right here. So if you need anything, you can ask any one of us. Lastly, all of our students in Academy get this beautiful leather bookmark. And every time you complete a course in Academy, you get a brand. You get a different brand, okay? So we do ask that you at least do your very best to complete 80% of this course. That means... If you miss a week catching up with audio, um, you've, got your, you've got your booklet, so you've got a place to look at the notes and the principles. So those of you who already have this bookmark, who completed Old Testament redemptive history, if you'll bring it back to us over the next two weeks, put your name on the back with a, maybe a little masking tape so that we can get your new brand put on here for week four. We can pass that back out to you. All right, food is in the East Lobby. It'll be there every week at 6. Does everybody know where the bathrooms are? They're a little tricky. If you need help, let us know, and let's start. Let me pray for Kathy. Kathy and I will be taking turns teaching. She'll teach this week. I'll teach the next, and on and on. Father, we're so grateful to be here, and Lord, it's a little tight, but we're the body of Christ. We don't mind being close to one another. We're brothers and sisters. Um, I just thank you for every person here. I thank you for what you're going to teach us. Thank you for the way that your word is going to come alive to us as we really invest in tools, in principles, and in a method to help us really dig deep into your word. I pray for Kathy right now that you'll give her the words. Um, and Lord, just help us to have a wonderful night of learning. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Good evening. Can everyone hear me? It's wonderful to be here. One morning, I was performing my normal breakfast routine. Poured myself a bowl of brand cereal, cracked open the newspaper, and there was a review of a book that really caught my attention. The book was entitled, The Human Predicament. It was authored by a philosophy professor at the University of Cape Town. I'd like to read to you what that review said about this book. There are books that one should never give to depressed friends. The human predicament is one. The author is merciless in spelling out his message. Ultimately, our lives are meaningless. Evolution is blind and serves no intrinsic purpose. In a cosmic sense, we each live for an insignificant amount of time. Furthermore, the lives we do leave are often suffused with suffering. There's no such thing as chronic pleasure, but chronic pain is all too common. 
Life is terrible. And some people are unluckier than others. I thought, well, okay, I wonder where this is leading. Does it, does it talk about God? Yes. Many might cope by inventing a God or another unseen spiritual world. Okay, so what is the solution? We're wasting our time thinking about human predicaments and the unimaginable vastness of the sky. What is really staring us in the face is the need to prepare breakfast. And that's what I intend to do now. Zero solution. So I'm glad you came tonight because we're gonna talk about a book that does tackle these questions. And in stark contrast to this human work, this divine work shouts that we have meaning. So I have a question. What if somebody came up to you and really didn't know about the Bible, knew you did, and said, can you tell me in maybe a sentence, what's the Bible all about? Does anybody think they can do that in a sentence? Well, there probably are a lot of ways we can go. So I'd like to, to uh, submit this. Let's open our notebook to uh, page four. Let's look at study principle number one. I'm saying the Bible is first and foremost a revelation. God wants to reveal himself to us, and he wants to be known. Let that sink in. This is exciting. God wants to be known. Now, there are two types of revelation in theology. The first is general revelation. General revelation tells us, thank you so much. Yep, general revelation tells us there is a God. An example of general revelation is the beautiful creation. Paul tells us this in Romans. From the time that the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky and all that God made. They can clearly see his visible and invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. This is general revelation. Special revelation tells us we can know God more intimately. And scripture is an example of special revelation. So would somebody please read uh, John 17.3? Who would like to read John 17.3? Thank you. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Thank you. You see, this revelation has a purpose, and it is relational. God reveals himself to us because he wants us to respond to him. John 17 records a prayer. Who's praying in John 17? Jesus, yes. Do you know at what point in his ministry he prays this prayer? Anybody? It's right before the crucifixion. So Jesus is praying right before the crucifixion. Do we know who he's praying for? He's praying for the church. So would somebody please read John 17, 8? For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Thank you. Have you ever seen that before, who he's praying for? And if you go a few verses down, you'll see in verse 20, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray for all of those who will believe in me through their message. So we're included in this prayer, the prayer by Jesus Christ the night before he died. And this is what he prayed, 
that eternal life is to know him more intimately. Let's look at the very last sentence in this prayer. It's verse 26. Would somebody please read this? I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Thank you. So do you see what Jesus wants? It's a relationship of love. And when he says, I myself may be in them, he wants an intimate relationship with us. So what's the objective for this study? Why are we learning how to study scripture more effectively? It's passion for Christ and the mission he gave us. Otherwise, this whole exercise, it's a waste of our time. Jesus wants a people who are passionate for him. And he uses his word as one of the ways for that to happen. Would somebody please read Deuteronomy? You might be familiar with these great words. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Thank you. Centuries later, Jesus still calls us the greatest commandment. This is what God wants from us, his people. And how does God see us? Just a few verses later. Could somebody please read Deuteronomy 7, 6? Hear, O Israel. Oh, sorry. <laughs> For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. Thank you. It's the language of love, isn't it? And just like Israel was chosen, so are we the church. This is why the academy exists. Like Tammy said, we're trying to become better disciples of Jesus Christ and to make disciples of Jesus Christ. But maybe more this those who love him passionately and bringing others into the kingdom who will love him passionately. That's what we're seeking to do here. Now, if you take a look at your notebook again on the same page, you know, we are part of the Evangelical Free Church of America, and they have a strong statement on scripture. So we're going to take a look at this together and see what we as a body believe about the Holy Word of God. So, will somebody please read the first statement in that uh, scripture? I'm sorry, in that statement. The first sentence in that statement. That God has spoken in the scriptures, both Old and New Testaments, through the words of human authors. Thank you. This is the doctrine of inspiration. And inspiration says this. It's the supernatural influence of the Holy Spirit on the scripture writers which resulted in what they wrote actually being the word of God. Do you believe that? Okay. Let's take a look at the next statement. As the verbally inspired word of God, the Bible is without error in the original writings, the complete revelation of his will for salvation. Thank you. So along with inspiration, we then say, this is a doctrine of inerrancy. And here's what this says. The Bible is fully truthful in all of its teachings and all that it affirms. Do you believe that? The statement continues. And the ultimate authority by which every realm of human knowledge and endeavor should be judged. Thank you. This is the doctrine of authority. And this is what this says. The Bible, as an expression of God's will to us, possesses the right supremely 
to define what we are to believe and how we are to conduct ourselves. Do you believe that? Okay, how does that statement conclude then? Believed in all that it teaches, obeyed in all that it requires, and trusted in all that it promises. Thank you so much. So within our statement, we have the doctrine of inspiration, inerrancy, and biblical authority. That's in our statement. Everybody comfortable with that? Wonderful, because that's what we believe. But as always, in the fallen world, there is conflict. And in the last century, a philosophical movement has infiltrated our thinking. It's in the schools, all the way through colleges, art, politics, and to some degree, it's in the church. It's called postmodernism. And it teaches, among other things, that when I come to a piece of literature, such as the Bible, what matters is not what it means, but what it means for me. And that might be different than what it means for you, and that's okay. What do you think we're losing here by being tolerant and by breaking away from our doctrine of the scripture? We're losing truth. That's right, we're losing truth. And the real issue is right here. What matters is not what it means, but what it means for me. What does that do to our statement of biblical authority? Renders it mute. It's the continual repetition of Genesis 3. What's the question there? Who is sovereign? In this philosophy, my opinion is sovereign. It's the latest way to satisfy the old motivation of who gets to be king. Have you ever been to a Bible study where the leader asks about a verse and the first person gives your thoughts? Then the second person respectfully disagrees and has an opposite meaning to which the leader thanks them both for their answers. This is an example of postmodernism. The text means one thing for one person the complete opposite for the other, but both interpretations are to be respected and treated as equally valid. Is this how God interacts with people in the scriptures? No. He hasn't sanctioned postmodernism, has he? But the reason we're talking about this tonight, it's because this is the challenge of our time. This is the prevalent thinking. If you think about it, we can make the Bible say almost anything, and then it means nothing. So let me give you an illustration. It looks a little bit like this. Suppose one Sunday, pastor announces we're going to demolish the buildings on the South Park campus. A few weeks later, they're gone. But we still haven't heard the plan for the new campus because there is no plan. We simply tore down the buildings with no plan to replace them. This is the logical conclusion for postmodernism. Remember our article? It tore down philosophy, it tore down the spiritual world, and it offered nothing. So that leads us to what we want to accomplish in this course over the next four weeks. So let's take a look at study principle number two. And I believe that's on page five. <coughs> we want to discover the original intent of the words of the Bible. And this practice is called exegesis. And this is what that simply means. The definition's there. It's the careful, 
systematic study of the scripture to discover the original intended meaning. So we as a people haven't thrown out the whole concept of meaning, have we? It's an attempt to hear the word as the original recipients were to have heard it, to find out what is the original intent of the words I'm sorry, of the words of the Bible. What was the original intent of the words of the Bible? Because we think they have meaning. Now, the method that we're going to use is called the inductive method. Some of you may have heard about it before. The first action we take when approaching scripture with this method is to pray. This is our proper posture of humility before our Lord. We're seeking him and we're asking for the Holy Spirit to guide us. Remember, we have direct access to the divine author. Do you know in academic circles, this is called the primary source. It's one thing to read about the things Thomas Jefferson did, but it's exciting if you can read the words of Thomas Jefferson. We have the inspired words here from the Holy Spirit. So we get to go to the primary source. Now there's a beautiful promise in Jeremiah 29, 12. Here's the context. God's people, who he works so hard through our story to get a people to want him and dwell with him, they have turned to idolatry. But it's never the end with the Lord. They've been promised restoration. And here's what he promises them when that occurs. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. That's the creator. I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. Remember what the purpose of revelation is? He wants us to respond to him. Now, the method has four steps. Observation, historical context, interpretation, and application. And tonight, we're going to discuss observation. Before we do, we have a, a little video to help, help us along. I once heard a story about a professor. A student approached him, curious about scientific observation. Very well, said the professor as he pulled out a huge yellow jar. Take this fish and look at it. Eventually, I'll test you. The student took the fish and began to observe it. He looked at it, studied it. After 10 minutes, he thought he'd seen everything that could be seen. He searched for the professor, but he was nowhere to be found. So he kept looking at the fish. 30 minutes, an hour, two hours passed. He was turning it over, looking it in the eyes, behind, beneath, above. What have you learned? Asked the professor when he returned. The student rehearsed it all. The pores of the head, fleshy lips, lidless eyes, the lateral line, the spinous fin, the forked tail. The professor seemed disappointed. You haven't looked very carefully. You haven't even seen one of the most obvious features. Keep on looking. The student wanted nothing more to do with the fish. He was miserable. But he wanted to please the professor, so he looked and looked. Slowly, he discovered one new feature after another. 
Soon time began to fly by as the student observed that fish, seeing all kinds of things he'd never noticed before. He realized just how right the professor had been. After another hour, he returned and heard a new list of observations. That's good, but that's not all. Go on, keep looking. And so for three long days, he put that fish before the student's eyes, forbidding him to study anything else, repeating the same chorus each time, look, look, look. We have something far more valuable to explore and study and look at. The simple habit of looking at the Bible will change your life and lead you to the greatest beauty in the world. If we look long enough, with enough care, we will see things we never dreamed possible to see. Give yourself daily to look and look and look at God's Word. Don't let go or walk away until you have seen more of Him. You will be amazed by the wonders you will find. Did you get the point? I once heard a story about a professor. So let's take a look at the third point on our notebook, study principle. We're going to look at, at as many details as we can find from several readings of the passage in different translations. So how are we going to define observation? It's the action or process of observing something carefully in order to gain information. Now, in this step, we're collecting information. We're collecting evidence. We're not attempting to interpret the passage. What does it mean to me? No. Or to extract application. We're simply observing and noting as many details as we can find in our passage. So here's the primary question. What does the text say? And I don't have a list of tools in this section for a reason. You simply need two or three Bible translations. Number one, pen and paper or electronic writing and the steps that we're going to take a look at tonight. That's all you need. I will ask, and I'm speaking to myself too, to try not to look at resources in this step because you're, it, you're going to start veering off and one question will go to the other and we'll miss the goal that's in the scripture. So let's all make a commitment to each other that we're not going to do that, okay? <laughs> okay. So what are the steps? Well, we've talked about a couple of them and again, they're in our notebook and it starts on page five. The first one is we, we pray throughout the process. Lord, what do you want to show me? How can I see you more clearly? We're going to read the passage in different translations several times. We want to read it with fresh eyes, and we don't want to impose our assumptions on the text because then we're going to miss something. Scripture is God's personal revelation to us, so expect God to communicate his truth to you. He told us that in Jeremiah 29, 12. He wants to. And be patient. I know sometimes we just want to get, get to the point, but be patient. So when we're looking, these are the things that we want to observe in our passage. Not all of them are going to be in your passage. But this is a step, again, where we don't refer to other resources. Remember, what does the text say? Anything off the text 
you're into a commentator, even though those little notes in the study Bible. So the first thing you want to find out after reading your passages is the author or the audience stated in the passage. And most probably you're going to find not. A lot of the books are, we don't have the author's name in there. There's a lot of scholarship as to who they think it is. So just bear that in mind. You're not missing anything. But then the next thing we want to take a look at are references to time. And they can be so many different things. Obviously, we know about months or days or things like that. But what about seasons? What if it's the season of the harvest or the season of planting? What if we're told about a festival or a holy day? What if it's Passover? How about someone's reign, the reign of Herod, the reign of Caesar Augustus? Maybe the year of the reign is given. Maybe how many years of that reign have been given? But these are the clues that we're looking for for time references. Let's take a look at this in Esther. What do you see here? Would somebody please read that? She was taken to King Xerxes in the royal residence in the 10th month, the month of Tebeth, in the seventh year of his reign. Thank you. So when you're doing your observation, and we'll take a look at a worksheet in, in a few minutes, here's what you're going to list. You know who the king is. You understand it's the 10th month. The name of the month is Tebeth, the seventh year of his reign. Now, you're going to have a lot of questions as you jot all this down, but at this point, that's all you're doing. You're just collecting the evidence, and then you're going to find out what it means later. Okay. There was a lot in that one little verse, wasn't there, about time. So, and events help us, too, with time. So, for example, if you're reading the Exodus, most probably the event that's going on is the Exodus. Yes, it's obvious. You may be in the exile. Perhaps you're at the time of the judges or the kings. Who's the nation in power? Is it Babylon? Is it Rome? So these are the kind of things that can help you establish time. For example, the book of Ruth, a beautiful book that's written. Well, how do we place it in the terms of the Old Testament? Well, 1-1 one, one tells us. Would somebody please read that? When the judges ruled. So now, thank you. Now we know where to place the book of Ruth. How about locations? Are any of them mentioned? Well, it's the same kind of a process. Geographical places might make sense. Regions, cities, nations, bodies of water, mountains, deserts, gardens. Deserts and gardens? Well, suppose you were doing a study on Matthew 4, the temptation of Christ. And as you go through your study, you're beginning to see the same tempter that visited Christ also visited Adam and Eve. And you begin to realize Christ was in the desert. They were in the garden. So you see, it starts to tell you things about what's going on, about God and about people. So these are the things you want to look at. But locations can also be things like the temple, the synagogue, a person's home, the palace. Look what we see here in Matthew 26, 6. Would somebody please read this? While Jesus was a in Bethany, in the home of a man known as Simon the leper. Thank you. So we not only see the city, we see exactly where he's located. So these are the things we can find out with locations. The next thing we're going to talk about is literary genre, type of literature. You can go to several different Bible study books, and there's all different types of lists for literary genre. We thought that these seven were inclusive and helpful. So this is what we're going to use in this study. And this is going to come up this week, 
next week, and even more so when we do interpretation. But literary genre, primarily you're going to have narrative, which is historical, and that's both in the Old and New Testament, and it's, it's the story. Law. So much of law is in Deuteronomy. It's not really advancing the story as much as it's telling the law. Poetry. And you know there's more poetry in scripture than in the Psalms. There's quite a bit of high poetry in Genesis. Prophecy. And we know that there's the prophets in the Old Testament, but let's not forget Revelation. Wisdom literature. The Proverbs. Ecclesiastes. Gospels. Now, Gospels can be both narrative and parable. Would you think it would make a difference if you were looking at a story, an, a historical story, or a parable? And then finally, the epistles, and, or another word for them, or the letters. So there are the seven categories we're going to use. We try to determine what the genre of our text is. Now, this next one, who are the characters in the passage? When we first started this, we said, who are the people in the passage? And you know what we realized? There's a lot of characters in scripture who aren't human, and they play a big part. For example, in the garden, who do we have? Adam, Eve, and who else? The serpent. That's right. The armor of God. The armor of God is protecting against spiritual beings, right? The principalities, the authorities, the rulers of the spiritual world. The next thing we want to take a look at, especially if you have a passage that's part of a chapter or part of a story, there's going to be pronouns. And you might be reading a passage as he, they, them, who, who are they? So we identify them because we want to know who they're referring to. Is there any dialogue in the passage? Is the dialogue question and answers, command, teaching? What does the dialogue look like? And of course, we always have our key words and phrases. Repeating words and phrases fall under this category. Now, action verbs tell us a lot. So if you write down your action words, most probably they're going to be verbs. We actually think there's a special category, and that's directives. So you might be writing down action words, and then you're going to start to see things that look like commands. We're asking you to to, to uh, pull them out and take a look at them. So for example, in, Gen in Romans 12.8, if it is your gift to encourage others, do it. If you have money, share it. Yes, do and share are action words, but they're also directives. And think about the great story in John 5.5, 5, when we have a man lying there and he's been sick for 38 years. And Jesus knows this. And he walks over to him, and he says the great question, do you want to be healed? And what does he say? I'm going to tell you the 45 reasons why I'm not. And on he goes. I try to get up, and then everybody gets ahead of me, and the water, and by the, on and on and on. And you know what Jesus did? He ignored all that, and he said, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. And we have a clue in verse 9 as to what he did. Instantly, the man was healed. Instantly is one of those time words. That's going to help us. Perhaps, maybe as we're working through this passage, if, the, if we were to do that on our own, would the way the man responded instantly have something to do with an application? Hmm, just a thought, because right now we're just writing down instantly. 
connecting words. I hope I get this point across tonight. <laughs> Many times these are conjunctions. And, for, but, therefore, and because. I am hoping that I have changed you tonight. That whenever you read the scripture and one of those words pop up, you stop. And you take a look what's before that word and after that word because they are related. They connect, they connect thoughts, teachings, episodes, and they go beyond sentences to the paragraphs, to the chapters, and even beyond chapters to tell the whole story. And these are the words that are in your um, book that are going to help you to connect those thoughts. Otherwise, we're cheating ourselves of what the Lord wants to tell us. And then what about lists? All kinds of lists are in Scripture. The gifts of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, the armor of God, the Ten Commandments. So lists are just as they say. The other thing we look at are comparisons or contrasts. Proverbs uses this a lot. Uh, they contrast the fool to the wise. Contrasts are easier to spot in Scripture. God's law versus human law. Comparisons might take a little bit more effort, but they're worth seeking out. Would somebody please read Isaiah 40, 31a, and see if you can find the comparison. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. Thank you. Do you see the comparison? Anybody? What's, what's being compared? Strength and eagles. Strength and eagles. Hope in, exactly. Yes. So they're not as obvious as the contrast, but they're certainly worth seeking out. The next thing we look for are cause and effect. Reason or result is the same thing. Here's the reason, and then there's the result. Here's the cause, and then here's what happened. And a lot of times, these are identified by if and then, and so that. Stop. If you see a so, or a so that, or an if and then, stop. Because if you just read part of it, you're going to miss the whole thought. Here's a verse that many of us know. It's a wonderful verse, and it is loaded with things to look for. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. So if, if anyone is in Christ, okay, that is our cause or our reason. They're in Christ. What's the result? They are a new creation. But also in here, we have contrasts between the new and the old. And then we have that new word there, right, that we're looking at differently, therefore. So do you see this? As wonderful as this verse is, and many of us must, I think, know this verse, there's something going on before that verse that we should be reading that gives us the full effect of it. So here we have connecting words, contrast, and we also have cause and effect in one verse. Then there's illustration and imagery. I'm not the most artistic person, but the Bible is full of illustration and imagery. So it's worth uh, learning about this. Armor of God. Think about it. Roman armor is used to describe spiritual weapons. The concrete describes the abstract by using imagery. 
We all know what a helmet is. We can see a helmet, but can we visualize faith? We know what the sword is, and we, but do we understand that the word is the offensive weapon within the spiritual battle? That's what this does. John 10, 9. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Another way of saying I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's using imagery. Now, there's another thing that also we look for. And tonight, when we do our example, we're going to do an example together. They're called story shifts. And once you begin to see them, it's going to tell you a lot. Story shifts have something to do, something's happening in the passage. And all of a sudden, the mood changes. And action changes. Motivation changes. Direction of the narrative changes. Think about the Gospels all have to have a shift somewhere because somewhere along the line, they change from listening to him to one opponent on a cross. So these are the kind of things we're looking for. Shifts in the story. Shifts in the way things are done between the old and the new. What Jesus is fulfilling. And we have a good passage tonight where we can see two shifts. And then finally, what does our passage say about God and what does it say about humanity? But we have to be careful here. Only if it's evident in the passage. It's not this, we don't want to draw conclusions yet because there's so much more to do even after this step, okay? It's going to happen later in the process. But sometimes it's just there in the passage so you can just jot down what it tells you about either God or humanity. Okay, that's our observation process. So we're going to take a look at an example together in the back of your book, on pages 25 and 26 of your notebook, there are two translations of Matthew 12, 9 through 4, the ESV and the NLT. We had to decide on two. We chose these two. If there's other versions that you like, that is fine. But there's the two we're going to use uh, just for our course. Now, if you take a look at your uh, notebook, go to pages 7 and 8. This is going to be your observation worksheet. So we're going to take 15 minutes to about 25 of 8. Is tonight flying or what? And you're going to have 15 minutes to read the two different translations and record as many observations as you can see so that we'll have a chance to go over them together. No, it's the same. I'm sorry. It's the same uh, passage. It's just two different translations. We're not comparing them, no. But yes, we're just pulling out those observation questions. So this is what the worksheet looks like, and pretty much everything we talked about is on this worksheet. So it's a matter of you recording your observations. Yes. Okay, I know that wasn't completely 15 minutes, but I thought this one we would, we would discuss together, so don't model the rush. Okay, we're just doing that right now so that we can have a chance to talk. I know we're a big room, so if you want to answer and participate, Answer loudly, and I'll, I'll say it for the rest of the class to hear. So let's see what you discovered in this wonderful passage. Was the author or the audience stated at all in the passage? Yes. yes. Who was it? Oh, I'm sorry, the author of, of the gospel? I'm sorry, the author of the gospel or the um, audience that it was written to? Now, where does it say it's Matthew? 
Right, right. But, but it's actually still an anonymous book because nowhere in the book does Matthew say that he wrote it. But okay, this is great. This is what we need to talk about. So that's how we, we, you know, we call it the gospel according to Matthew. But did, did anywhere did it say, I, Matthew, have written this in my hand, or I'm writing it to so? So this is great, okay? Does that all make sense, everybody? These are, these are the kind of questions, keep bringing them up, because this is what we all do. We're here to learn. Excellent, okay. Were there any references at all to time? Yes. Bullseye. Anything else? Then, okay, great. Anything else? Okay, then, Sabbath, excellent, all great words. How about, look, yes? The life, the life of Jesus. That's time, indeed. Excellent, excellent observation. Life of the Pharisees, excellent. There you go, wonderfully done. Anyone else? These are great. How about any locations mentioned? Synagogue? Do I hear something else? The well? Great point. Anything else? Great eyes. I'm impressed. How about the literary genre? Okay, why do you think it's a parable? Okay, that's an illustration, but the, is the actual event a parable, or is this really happening in the story? It's a narrative. But great point, and we're going to get to that. Great point. That's, thank you for bringing it up. So within it, he's using some things, but the actual story was actually happening. That's why we wanted to do this. It's exactly why. These are great. Any other thoughts there? Law. Law is mentioned. Excellent. Gospel, narrative, law is mentioned. Yes. Okay, this is great, and I want to thank you. So what I'm seeing here is that I've caused confusion. When we talk, and thank you, that's why we're doing this, thank you. When we talk about the author and the audience, we really don't mean the passage, we mean the book. And that should have been stated, so thank you. We'll make that correction. The author of the book, or the author, or the audience of the book. Well, so thank you. So the author of the gospel isn't mentioned, and the audience of the gospel isn't mentioned. Here's what I mean. I, Paul, have written to you. Paul wrote the letter. Who did he write the letter to? See, that's what we're saying. That's not what's happening here. So we want to know who actually said, I have written this gospel, or I have the good news, or I have written this passage to you. Thee. That's not what's going on. So great point. We're talking about the author of the whole book, and we're talking about the audience of the whole book. Thank you. Is everybody clear? Because in some books they are. See, this is an observation worksheet for, for all of them. Well, actually, the gospel was written to who? So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? They wrote, they wrote the gospels, not for the particular people within the gospels, correct? Because all those events were done, correct? So they're writing the gospel as part of spreading the good news. Does that make sense, everyone? Okay, but great point. It should have been the book. Thank you. Okay, who are the characters in the passage? Okay, if I just had, if I just had one, if I had the ESV, was Jesus mentioned in the ESV? No. Okay, great, great observation. So the second translation helped us to see, matter of fact, in the second translation, they named both of what the first one used as pronouns, right? We knew what the, excellent. So we have Jesus, 
the Pharisees. And what do we know about the man? The, right, so that's what we know. That's what our pastor told us. Excellent. Okay. You did a great job with the pronouns by going to the other translation. You didn't have to go to another source. It was there for you. Okay. Well, was there any dialogue in this? What kind of dialogue? Questioning, questioning answers, yes. Questioning the law, excellent, yes. Anything else? That's correct, yes. Indeed, yes. So what were the key words and phrases that you saw in this passage? Heal. Yes, of course, yes. Law, yes. And somebody said, what else? Sabbath. Hmm, so Sabbath is a repeated word. And what other kind of word? Time. I wonder if that has something to do with what's going on in the story. Okay, it comes up twice. Any others? Law, Sabbath. Accuse. Accuse. Excellent. Anything else? Person. Person. Valuable. Valuable. Wow. Yes. Excellent. I'm sorry? Restored. Yes. Key words, you, you pick them out. Wonderful. Yes. And a lot of these key words also, you saw repeating, you picked out action words. Any other action words? We saw restored. What else did you see in action? Yes. Went. Yes. Destroy. Accuse. Yes. Coping. Yes. Conspired, yes. Restored. Did anybody see any directives? Stretch out. Excellent. Excellent. Stretch out. When Jesus said stretch out your hand. Okay, excellent. Great job on the action words, believe me. How about the conjunctions? Did you notice in the conjunctions one of the translations started with one and one didn't? That's why we take a look at translations. In the NLT, it started with then. In the ESV, it never used a conjunction. Did you see any others? Sorry? So, yes. Sorry? Then? Yes. Yes. Where did you see the word then? What, what, what uh, verse did you see? 13. Okay, so we look at the word then. What, what was it connecting? Something happened, then something happened. Absolutely. Yes. Hold on to that. Okay. We're going to get back to that. Okay. okay. Oh, that's good. Did you hear what she said? She, she, she saw the action. All right. Then he entered, then this happened, then he healed, then they want to conspire. Good, good point. Okay. That, you're, you're reading great. Okay. Well, so what is this then put together in 13? So it happened right before it. He... He makes the point that it's lawful to heal on the Sabbath, and then he does the sign. Okay, so you see what's being tied together there? Because we're going to go back to that in just a moment about the lawful point. So that's why you want to take a look. The, what happened exactly before the then? Jesus made the statement. What happens after it? He does the miracle. Hmm. That's an observation. Okay, we'll go into that in just a second. Okay, there's another then. It's a then in NLT. It's a but in ESV. Where did you see that? 
14. But the Pharisees went to conspire. That's after it. What happened before it? The healing, and then they, they conspired. So they're connected. Great job in, in less than 15 minutes. I've been really impressed. Okay. Any comparisons or contrasts? That is a conjunction. And what else can that be? A connecting. And the so and the so that, you hit it, but you know what we, cause and effect. Okay? That's our cause and effect word, but that's okay. Great. No, that's okay. There's a, do you see? I mean, this is a guideline to help you, but if you're making connections through conjunctions and through cause and effect, you're doing it. Okay? So we have to give you a method, but that's exactly right. So cause and effect is very similar to conjunctions. Why we stop is because we want to see what's going on before and what's going on after. So before the so was the what now? Thank you. So let's just go past comparisons and contrasts. There's another cause and effect. That was one of them. Where was the other one? Who said that? Said that again? Bingo. In verse 10, guess what we have? We have gold here. We are told explicitly in this chapter why they asked that question. Because they were trying to set them up. Do you see how important that is? So that told us what was going on. So we had the intention. Well done. Thank you. Any comparisons or contrasts? Man versus sheep. Yes. That's a great one. Good comparison or contrast. Yes. Any other one? Healing is a type of work. Excellent point. Thank you. Yes. Excellent. See, this part about the healing and the Pharisee's reaction is a comparison and contrast. It can be a cause and effect. It can also be a shift. So, yes. Again, we're laying out things as you go back and you read and reread. You're starting to, hmm, I see what's going on here. So, very good. Story shift. You've actually brought them up. Because as you go through this, all these questions, you're starting to observe things. I think there's two big ones. You might find some more, okay? What would you think would be a story shift? What's the first one going on? The Pharisees were questioning in the beginning, and where do they end up? The plot to kill them. And one of the translations says the plot to destroy them. Well, was it his reputation? The second translation makes it really clear, right? They wanted to kill him. So they go from attempting to maybe hurt his reputation and trip him up to what do they want to do. And this is the turning point in the Gospel of Matthew. Because the, what's going to happen now? Everything's changed. And what will happen is you're going to notice as you start reading and going forward, as you're reading the book, he's going to start talking more in parables. Why that shift? You just found it. Very well done. Okay, there's another shift earlier in, in it. See, if it's, it's subtle. I, I know it's subtle. But you've actually talked about it more than once. Yes. Yes. Using that person. There you go. That's another shift. As if they're really concerned about what's going on with the man, but they really were shifting. The shift really was they were trying to accuse him. That's another one. That's very subtle. Well done. That in the beginning, what happened was it appeared as if they were asking him a question about the concern for the person, but in fact, they were really trying to set him up. But there's another shift. That's the other shift. Think about what Jesus did. This is their tradition. 
surely, you know, we're going to get him because he's going to have the tendency to want to heal this person because that's what this healer's doing. But it's the Sabbath, and we're at the synagogue, and that's not the law. And Jesus shifts everything and says, Mm-mm. would you do that for your sheep? How much more valuable is this person? And I am going to validate and show you who I am by the sign of the miracle. And what happened? The man walks away healed, but what do the Pharisees want to do? You did a great job. We did, we, with the sheep, we came... Did you have another one? Yes. The sheep, yes. Yes, great one. Yes. Wow, it's 10 of. Okay, so let's talk about your assignment. Uh, you did a great job. Is everybody a little bit more comfortable or a little bit more confused? <laughs> did, did the worksheet questions help? Okay. Did you find more than one um, translation helped? And do you understand that we're not worried about you thinking, okay, is that a comparison? Is that a conjunction? No. These are prompting questions to get you to look at the verse and to pull the meaning of the verse out. Okay, does that that help? Okay, great. Okay, so what will happen is, uh, if you take a look at your book, at the back, have you all picked your, your verses? Okay, so you have pre- presented in the back of the book one. Yes. Yes. So now we're offering the NLT and the NIV. Uh, I'm sorry, the NLT and the ESV for you. If you have other verses that you want to, um, translations that you want to read this in at home, that's fine. We wanted to at least offer two so you at least had two, and that would be the very least. Okay, now. In the back of the book, you'll see that the three are there. I believe it's 27 through 33. And then when you take a look in your notebook also, there is a master uh, worksheet. And it begins on page 17. So this week, you'll take a look and you'll do the observation, exactly what you just did, 17, 18, and then 19. The same questions. Except now you have your verse... You're welcome to use the two translations or any other you want. It's a minimum of two. If you want to do it in three or four, that's fine. If you have a, a favorite one that's not one of those, even better. Go ahead and use it, okay? Correct. Correct. So you're going to practice observation this week when you take a look at the one of the three verses you've chosen because these verses are going to be through the entire four weeks. Next week, when you do the backstory or the context, then you'll do that part of the worksheet after Tam explains how to do that. The third week, interpretation, which is the meat of this, but then it leads to the application. Now, we're not going to discuss the particular passes that you've chosen each week because we're waiting for the last week to hear what you believe um, God wants you to do as a result of this whole study. So we're going to do that on the last, uh, the last day. Any questions about your homework assignment? Just the observation. Exactly what you did tonight with the verse that you're, uh, the, the passage you're going to have for the next four weeks. That's the one you're going to work on. Yes. Right. Those passages in the back of the book are for the entire course. So you're going to be with one for the four weeks. So you're just going to practice observation. And when we come in next week, Tammy is going to teach the backstory in context, and we're not going to talk about it. Then you're going to do the same thing with that passage, with that part of the worksheet, and then interpretation, and then application. And that fourth week, we're going to talk about all that you saw. Make sense? Okay, before we go, 
I'd like to share a little story with you. When I started to do this type of thing, when I started to really learn that there was a way to read scripture, and it has to do with the book of Philippians. I thought Philippians was a book all about joy. And so what I, how I understood it, through, through years of reading it, was I understood it as always be full of joy in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. Don't worry about anything. I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. And the same God who takes care of me will supply all my needs with his glorious riches. So you see, I pulled the pearls out of the book of Philippians that suited me. And what I did was, this Paul represents my theology of joy that I pulled out from Philippians. But what happened was one summer, a group of us were studying Philippians. And somebody said what we need to do is we need to read the letter in its entirety in one sitting. And just let the letter speak to me. So I did this nine years ago. And this is what I read. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. Defending and confirming the gospel. The advance of the gospel. Been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. The gospel. Preach Christ. Christ is preached. Man are worthy of the gospel of Christ. Contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. You will be saved. The gospel. Timothy served me in the work of the gospel. Never saw this before in all the times that I've heard or read Philippians. It continues, cause of the gospel. I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. The righteousness that comes from God and is by faith, the gospel. I never realized that Paul's joy came from a life poured out for Jesus Christ and the advancement of the gospel. Or maybe it was Paul's passion for Christ and the mission he was given. So I think what I'll do is I'll return these to my jewelry box, and the next time I'll wear them, it'll be at dinner. <laughs> so let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you so much. I get to stand here and before a room full of people who are so encouraged and enthused about knowing your word, to be closer to you, to be obedient, to live out a life that's worthy of you. And Father, what a gracious God you are. This delights you. You make yourself known. You're the initiator of all this so that we can be in relationship with you. Father, bless them as they go through this process. And may the process produce a life and a joy in them and a closest to you and a desire to do your mission. Let's not get bogged down in the process. Let it be a tool that works for them. And so, Father, I ask that you protect them on the way home this evening. You bless them this week. And we return with the joy to learn the next step in the process. It's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray. Amen.